Well, before we, uh, we talk specifically about Lent and what the season is, I want to take you back to a memory I'm willing to bet most, if not all of you have. Uh, if you haven't raised children, you're not in that phase yet, or if you were youngest, you may not recall it, but usually when kids are little, we all start with something that's kind of preliminary to hide-and-seek called peekaboo. Are you familiar with the game peekaboo? And when little kids play it, uh, what's funny is that if they can't see it, it doesn't exist. So when someone, a kid hides their eyes and they can't see you, they assume you can't see them. They're not thinking any further than if I can't see you, you can't see me. And so when you play those games, it's fun to watch them think, you can't see me. Even the times I can still think of it, and it's funny now with grandchildren, like several of my grandchildren, I've seen their heads buried in the couch where everything else is sticking out and they think you can't see them. It's just awesome, isn't it? Well, that then even translates into the next iteration, which is hide and seek. We've all played this game, and if you're a parent, you might be as skilled as I felt we were in those years. I played hide-and-seek primarily so they couldn't find me, and I could get a few minutes of quiet or sleep sometimes. Occasionally, I fell asleep, which was not a good thing, but that's the life of a parent, isn't it? But even when you play hide-and-seek, have you ever had this where you look around and you can see one of your kids, and there's a curtain in front of them, but their feet are sticking out, and they have no idea it's there, like they can't tell. It's just fun to watch all of that, but as they get older... And I'm assuming you even would go on to play these games. There's a little more sophistication to it. You actually learn, hey, where do they like to hide? Where do I like to hide? And when they learn you, it's easier to find you. True? Because we know where we like to go. Well, I tell you that because I firmly believe that God likes for us to find him. In other words, God plays hide and seek, but with a longing for us to actually discover him and the longing for us to actually know who he is and the longing for us to find him more and more and wants us to find him and does what he can to help us find him. And I tell you that because in the season that we call Lent, which is something the church has done for almost 2,000 years, it's a season in which we seek to discover Jesus in new ways, in a sense, we think of it as he's playing hide and seek and we're gonna find him. And we're gonna know more about him and learn more about him through that discovery. That's what we do in this season. It starts what's called 40 days before Easter. It doesn't count the Sundays because they're considered feast days, but every other day is a unique day. And so we have this season in which we run after God and seek to know him more. If you weren't with us on Ash Wednesday, I encourage you to go back only because we set the tone for the whole season. It was a short teaching about 15 minutes that you can go back to help you even engage in where we are. Now, where we're going in this season on Sundays is what we've titled the seven words of Jesus, this journey to the cross. We didn't invent this. This is something the church has pondered and considered for its history. And it's not literally seven words. You could say it's seven phrases, but these are seven phrases of Jesus on the cross. Now, I want to give a little bit of a why would we do this and why does it matter? And I want to explain to you, there are four accounts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. In a part of our Bible, we call those the Gospels. We call it the Gospels because it's the center of our faith. It's the good news. It's the reality that God comes in the flesh to be with us. So they're called Gospels. What I want you to understand is that each one of those four accounts treats this final week of Jesus' life, what we call Holy Week, and ultimately, even more so as we get to the crucifixion, the death, and the resurrection, with a lot of focus. So simply, Matthew and Mark 
a third of those accounts are this final week of Jesus' life. Luke is a quarter of the account, and John is half of the account. So all that is to say, when we look at this final time of Jesus, it matters. It's not something we run past and go, oh, great, he died, we're forgiven, we have new life, move on. But we want to engage in. We want to seek him. And as we seek him, we want to know him more. And I will tell you two simple things we hope happen over the season of Lent that we're praying for and even focusing on as we teach these. And the first is very simply this, that as we pursue Jesus and look at who he is on the cross, we want each of us to get to know him more. Not about him, but to know him more. Our desire is that somehow God will reveal Jesus to you in new ways that will deepen your gratitude and your relationship. And then the second part of that is very simply this, that as followers of him and people filled with the spirit, we won't just know him more, we'll live more like him. So we want you to seek after not just knowing him, but to seek after living and becoming like him. And make no mistake, I cannot change that, you cannot through information, that's a work of God. So this is the, both the beauty and the difficulty of this is, we're gonna teach things, but God has to speak and lead you. Make no mistake, that's what we're trusting and planning on. So I'm going to take you to the first of these seven phrases. It's in Luke's account, in Luke's of the four accounts. And we're going to look at that today. I want to preface it this way to give you a little bit of the scene leading up to it. So as Luke tells the story, Jesus has already gone before Pilate, the Roman leader, and and through the, the high priest of Israel too. So he's been in front of Israel's religious leader and Rome's governmental leader, basically being threatened and told that he's going to be killed and ultimately is going to lead to the cross. So he's now heading to the cross, and all it tells us so far is that all these people around him, specifically this group of women, and they are lamenting, they are crying at the pain of what they're seeing of him going to the cross and the hopelessness they feel through it. And even while he's heading there, he tells a little bit of a story. He says, listen, picture a place when it's green and going well, and then picture a place when it's dry. And he said, you're grieving when I'm here, when you're in the very presence of who God is, and you're grieving now, how much more will you ache once I'm gone? Something he claimed was going to happen. He claimed he would live, he would die, and he would rise again. So it's not new information, but they're literally lamenting as it's being lived out. And we take him to now being on the cross, and the first phrase that we know of, this is the first that he says, by tradition, we start here. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Now, before we get to the very content of the uniqueness of this claim and call to forgive, I just want to start with the first word, which is Jesus saying, Father. It's kind of a beautiful uh, bookend to this, the final statement that's made, Jesus begins again with Father. And it is a simple image to us that even in the midst of Jesus' suffering, though we'll look at one phrase that shows some fear and disparity, his first thing is Father. In other words, in the midst of Jesus' deepest suffering and deepest pain, God the Son seeks God the Father's presence. And one of the great hopes we have in all this is that Jesus showed for us the Father is with us in our deepest pain and struggle. Now that may not relate to anything we're teaching today, but if you're with us and you are in pain and struggle, you need to know that the Father sees and cares and loves you. And Jesus gives us that picture by the very first statement, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, 
this is a powerful statement already. We all hear it and go, that's really nice. I love hearing that's cool. Jesus forgives them. They don't even know what they're doing. We're not really sure how to hear it. Maybe you hear it sarcastically, like, Father, forgive these idiots. They don't know what they're doing. I don't, that's not it. You might hear it through a different lens, like, who's he even talking to? Because all we've seen so far are this women, these women lamenting, and we don't hear much beside that. But I want to take a step back with you. Before we even look at the rest of this story and what happens with it, what I want you to remember is Jesus was a rabbi and he had disciples. Now, a rabbi always taught the people around them, not just to give them information, but he taught them to see how he lived and to then live like him. In other words, if you were a follower of a rabbi, you were to follow that rabbi's ways. They taught you to live like them, to love like them, to walk like them. So I want to take you back to one of Jesus' teachings because this isn't simply a moment when Jesus has got compassion, he's on the cross, he looks around and he goes, hey, forgive them, they don't know what you're doing. This is an outplay of how he taught and what he taught and what it means. In other words, it's the outplay of how he actually lived. So let me take you back to one of Jesus' teaching. This is in Matthew. This, if you're familiar with some of the larger ones, this is called the Sermon on the Mount, but we're gonna look specifically just at one Simple aspect of it. Now, this is not uncommon in this teaching in Matthew. Jesus will say things like, you've heard it said, but I say. He does this with, with uh, killing. He says, you've heard it said, do not murder. I tell you, don't even have anger in your heart. Don't call your brother or sister a fool. He elevates the standard. And he's doing the same thing here. He's giving deeper explanation to the heart behind what was the Jewish law. He said, you've heard it say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, which it's not exactly it, but I'll take you back in a minute to what he means. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, that's a hard teaching, isn't it? Can you agree that's hard? You know, I tend to, when I think of enemies, I think, okay, I'm going to love them, and then they're going to turn the corner and they're going to become my friends. That's what Jesus is saying. Listen, if you really love your enemies, they're going to love you back. It'll all be good. It's not what he means, and we'll show you in a minute. I want you just to consider with me, are, are we in a time right now where it's really hard to be forgiving and loving to people, even people we like? Yes? One of the things I hate is that we actually know what we think now because we tell everybody everywhere and every chance we get. And the more we know of each other, the less we like of each other. And the more we find ourselves justified, oh, how could I ever... I don't like, I don't love. So I want to be clear, what, what Jesus is saying is really hard to take, isn't it? Can, can we agree it is? I just want to tell you, you're welcome. I know you're happy. Thank you for giving us something that's not easy and probably can't do on my own. In fact, I can't, but I want to take you back. Let's get at the heart of this. So let me take you back to what Jesus says before this, because this, as he's giving teaching, he has other statements he makes around it. And in this particular one, he's made a statement just before it that connects to it the same way. And he takes another passage in the, in the Old Testament, in what's the Hebrew Bible, and he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now that's what it speaks about uh, in, the, in the law, the Levitical law. And what it means is, listen, when there's an injustice, pay back what was done in accordance with it. Don't overdo it, don't underdo it, but give retributive justice. In other words, Call people out for what they have and give a thing. Because if you don't, guess what happens when you don't have justice? It elevates and escalates. Well, then I'm going to get you this way. I'm going to get you that way. So he said, the law is, hey, it's fair. Let's be just. Now, Jesus not only says you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and two for a tooth. He says, no, no, that's not what I want you to do. Instead, 
And he gives three examples of how you're to live. He says, listen, if somebody slaps you on the face, turn your cheek and give them the other. Now, we just think of that as somebody just slapping, but typically, the only reason I could slap you is if I had a higher class standing and in some way you offended me, and guess what? I can slap you. It was an insult. It's saying you're less than me. Now, the crazy part is Jesus says to them, if that happens, let him do it again. Does that freak anybody out at all? Does anybody want to say, wait, whoa, 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 Jesus, nice idea. You don't know that person. They need, I'm telling you, they'll be better if I just hit them. Can, can we agree? You know, Jesus, nice idea, the whole forgive, blah, blah. You have not lived where I live. They need a slap. Some need a few extra slaps. In fact, two or three. That'd be okay. It's not what he says. You've heard it said, nine for nine, tooth for tooth. Give him a second one. This, by the way, this is letting yourself be powerless in an environment that's unfair. Second example is just like it. Someone takes you to, and sues you, which they could do most likely because they have more than you, and they want your shirt, give them your coat too. When they unfairly take you and sue you and get stuff, give them more. Is this getting worse for anybody else? Come on, a Jesus, nice idea. Definitely living in the ancient world, not living today, is he? We take you to the third one. The final one relates to the military occupation that they have, which is Roman, which were, there was a simple Roman law that if a military person needed help, they could ask you to carry their stuff for them for a mile. So if someone asks you to carry your stuff for a mile, carry it too. Does this seem like an impossible ask to any of you? Are you letting your mind churn at all the reasons this is wrong and all the things like, we can even start giving sub areas where we shouldn't do this and I'm not trying to speak to extreme things of abuse, but can you hear how impossibly difficult this is, what Jesus has just taught? Why? Why would he have us do this? Just consider that for a minute. And I want you to see what he says after he talks about loving your enemies, because this is all connected. And this is what he describes. Hey, you want to know why you do this? Because you're going to be children of your Father in heaven. When you do this, you're like who the Father is. You want to know what he's saying? He's saying when we forgive in a way that doesn't make sense and love people in a way that doesn't make sense, heaven is coming to earth. Like what you're seeing is something amazing and supernatural, and the king is showing you a different way to live. And then he gives a description. Hey, by the way, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is an agricultural society. He's saying he gives the blessing of both of these things. In other words, whether it's fair or not, he calls it on all people. In other words, God actually cares about those who are unfair and unjust and even wicked and unrighteous. Just let that sink in for a minute. If you're like me, what you do is you go, I love the story of Jesus even forgiving them on the cross. And you know, I like to be like Jesus. I'm like Jesus. So I'll be that way to other people. What we don't want to do is say, wait a minute. Am I one of the people he's offering to forgive that doesn't even know what I've done? Am I willing to think that maybe we're included in that? Or do we kind of put ourselves as the understood and we know forgiveness, therefore he's kind of moving on to the second part? Just consider that for a minute. Let me take you back to where we were originally. 
And where we were is Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Now, so far, we haven't seen a lot that he'd have to say this for other than being on the cross directly. But three groups or four groups of people show themselves right after this. After he says this, it says they cast lots for his clothing, which is a whole other story that's very interesting and cool of prophetically something that was told would happen and is fulfilled, all Jesus on the cross. But right after that, it says the people watched and said nothing. So in other words, there were a group of people that were right there and saw the heartache and the injustice and the unfairness and they didn't do anything. Maybe that's part of what Jesus is saying, forgive them, they don't know what we're doing. I I kind of wonder how many things I see and know about that are wrong and unfair that break the heart of God. And I want to be convicted about it, but I also know that God looks and goes, you don't even realize it. Forgive them, Father, they don't know what they're doing. Takes them to the next group, the rulers. They're the people that are overseeing all this. And not only points out that they're making a mockery, but it says they sneer at him and they begin to mock him. Hey, if you're the son of God, come on. If you're the Messiah, get down, show yourself. Prove your power. Because that's how things move, it's through power. By the way, every example he gave in the other set of teaching and this one is letting yourself be oppressed where you shouldn't be. I'm sorry, this is not fun, is it? That's the leaders. Moves to the soldiers. They continue mocking the same way. Oh, Jesus, come on. If you're the Messiah, and then even speaks of it saying, King of the Jews, if you're really the king, show your kingship. Come on, show us how the king works. You gotta show us what this kingdom is like. That's what they're saying to him, mocking him for it. Kings should show their power and rule and reign. And even a man next to him on the cross mocks him. You say you're the savior, get yourself down. And by the way, take us with you. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It's powerful, isn't it? Here's the part to me that's amazing about it. They want him to show his power as king and show how he rules and reigns. And the way he shows it is through an unexplainable forgiveness for things they don't even realize they've done. Isn't that amazing? That's the king. You want to know how my kingship is? You want heaven to come to earth? Let me show you unexplainable forgiveness because when I show that, that's when you know what the kingdom's like. When I show that, that's how people in my kingdom live. But let's be honest, is that not feel undoable to anyone else in the room? You mean you're calling me to forgive people the way you do And I'm not even sure I get your forgiveness to me. I want to show you just one of his followers, Stephen. Stephen uh, is there after the resurrection, is one of the ones that's called to help others. Stephen ends up in Jerusalem. And in the midst of all this in Jerusalem, uh, he's telling them about what Jesus has done. And it's not an easy thing. He's basically telling them, listen, we all missed this and even crucified the very king. And he rose again and you need to... Basically, you need to realize just what a mess you are and how bad you missed this and want him. And their response is really difficult. Stephen actually follows in the very way of Jesus. It says, while they were stoning him, and it doesn't mean they, they threw, you know, little gummies at him or we're doing this. It means rocks. They're chucking them at him and taking him out. They're killing him. 
Stephen prayed. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, he cried out, and these are his final words, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he did this, he fell asleep. Can you just agree with me? I can't even imagine being able to do that. But something happened in Stephen's life, some way that he really understood how deep that forgiveness of Jesus was for him, not for other people, but for him. And he knew as a disciple, I'm following the way of my rabbi. And by the way, I'm even following the way of my king. And my king brings heaven to earth through something, nothing that we can't explain. You get that, don't you? We can't explain this. I mean, I mean, that's the, the beauty of what is happening in this moment is very simply this. Jesus' unexplained forgiveness brings heaven to earth. And guess what? His followers do the same thing when they live the same way. The more we know it, the more we can live it. We seek to know it. We seek to live it. We seek to know it. We seek to live it. We seek to know him. We seek to live his life in others. And I'm telling you, everything in you will want to fight against this. But it begins with how little we understand his forgiveness is what I'm posing to you today. If you think that's not true, just consider with me. And I, I debated telling you different stories because we've had them even in the church. People who had horrible tragedies thrust upon them from other people around their lives. And they've literally walked before those people and said, I forgive you. And we go, how could they? How could they forgive someone who took the life of their child? How could they forgive someone who betrayed and took everything away from them? How could they forgive someone who took their livelihood? And we can say, we don't know. But we know it's a way the king reveals heaven to earth through his people. N.T. Wright tells a story, a profound story to me, of an archbishop who's telling others about a time when three young teenagers went to their priest seems to imply he's the priest, and they were going to do confession, which was part of their tradition. And the three young teens decided, we're going to make a mockery of this. We're just going to tell them all sorts of horrible things and leave, and he's going to think it matters, and it didn't. So the first one goes in and gives them, the, this priest, a ridiculous amount of story of what has happened in their lives and a ridiculous amount of things that just heinous things they've done. And the, they go through the forgiveness and leave and leave laughing and mocking it. The second one comes in, the same thing. The third one comes in, and N.T. Wright doesn't say why, but the priest said, you know, before you're going, you're forgiven, I want you to go to the other end of the church, and I want you just to stare at the picture of Jesus on the cross, because they had one there. And as, as you look at it, I want you to say something three times. I want you to look at it, I want you to say, thank you for your forgiveness. It doesn't mean much to me. So the young student, this teenager, went and looked and said it the first time. They looked and said it the second time. And they got to the third time and something happened as they were looking at Jesus in this image. And they began to weep. And something got open to them. I don't know if it was heaven to earth, but they became aware of just how deep that forgiveness was and how true it was. And it moved from a mock to not to mattering deeply. And that person began to weep, that little teenager. And when N.T. Wright finished the story, he said, it was questioned to this man telling it, how do you know that's true? And this priest said, I know it's true because I was that student. See, I had that happen. Well, I looked at who Jesus is and I kept saying, thank you for forgiveness, it doesn't matter. And somewhere in looking at that, it mattered. 
and the depth of who Jesus is and how much his love is deepened in him. That's the journey that we want for you in this season. We want you to look at the face of Jesus on the cross. We want you to look at the face of Jesus in scripture. We want you to look at the face of Jesus in your own lives and be honest and just say, Lord, would you show me how these words are true for me? Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. That Jesus would be the one to endure a slap, a beat down. Jesus would be the one to endure unfair, unjust things against himself. Jesus would be the one to even in a structure of power live in the mess of it and still love and forgive. And he's inviting us on the journey to know him. If I were to give a picture of hide and seek for us with Jesus, he's waiting going, come find me. And we want to look in places where he gets people back and we want to look in places where he sees other people differently than us. We want to look in places that he'll acknowledge and be loving to us but not have us face the pain of our own sin and the mess it causes. And the place he is is a place of honesty and mess and our sin and at the same time of forgiveness and love to offer answers. A student who was at Harvard that was a, a Christian tells a story of walking into a particular building. And there are two groups meeting. One is a group, uh, a psychology group, that's a group of people kind of sharing their struggles, and the other is a Bible study. And they walk into the one study, the group with all the stuff going on in the psychology interactions, and it's a whole group of people sharing all the mess and the struggle of their lives, sharing all the questions and the pains they have, and being acknowledged in that pain, but no answers. And the student moves over to the Bible study and hears all these answers that Jesus brings, but no vulnerability and honesty of the mess of those people. It says, so sad because both are needed. But in the church, we often just want to tell who he is and blast fingers at people. So saying, you want to know when heaven meets earth? It meets earth when the king comes and endures all of that and says, I forgive you even when you don't even know, don't even understand. Because I love you that much. Our hope in the season of Lent is you'll take that journey to find him, to seek after him, maybe for the first time, maybe in a deeper way, but moving past the things you want to say aren't true to the things that are, to ask God to actually reveal to you how deeply he loves you, and, and I'll be truthful, and what a mess you are. I mean, I'm sorry, you're all a mess. Me too. And it's not a mess like, I, I keep running into these young adults who, they have horrible experiences with the church where all they were was guilted and shamed and kind of got to a place where they saw the hypocrisy and said, I don't want anything. And they just get told to perform better. And I don't mean that, but what I mean is honestly facing who we are. See, that's the thing about facing sin. We're not making stuff up. We're just being truthful about the mess we both cause and have caused to us. And I'll be the first to raise my hand. I'm a mess. But what I find is when I look at Jesus, I actually see this compassionate forgiveness that I can't explain. That makes me not only want to know him better, but want me to live like him with others. And most of that's saying, God, I don't know how to love like you do. I don't know how to forgive like you. Help me. I want to pray for us. I want to invite you, but I want to give you one specific place to apply this. And it's just this, we had, we had these cards, we passed them out at Lent on Ash Wednesday and we passed them out earlier, but we ran out. So it's allshores.org slash seven. And it's basically a daily card that 
gives you a very short scripture to read, a place to sit in quiet, and a place to literally just confess and ask Jesus to speak to you. And I'm telling you, this is a way to look at Jesus every day. Just take this two or three verses and ask the Lord to reveal himself and who he is as you read them. What would it be like if you and I did this over the season? And then every Sunday we come together and get to hear the next words of Jesus and the next words of Jesus. And then what would it be like if you and I begin to actually love and forgive like Jesus? Tell me today that it wouldn't be shocking for people if we act the way he did in the world around us. Because we know we've become so harsh and unforgiving and unloving. It will be a huge change just to see people that actually can forgive and love with the compassion of Jesus. I want to pray for us, really with this in mind and with asking the Lord to speak to you however he wants to in this day. So Lord, I'm asking that you'd speak today. I think of how many of us may have hidden things we just um, somehow think they're too much and there's no way you could forgive. And so I'm praying that we would see your kingly, compassionate, sacrificial heart each one as they need you today, they, they would feel it in peace. They would feel it in compassion. They would get it in their minds and their understanding. It would blow our minds that, to know that you could do this and want to for us. And Lord, that we first would receive and get to know you more. And I pray in the same way we will begin to walk like Stephen did. That what we want just passionately is to be people of the kingdom that bring heaven to earth and how we love and forgive others even and most when it's unfair and unjust and even unsolvable, that we would somehow know and want to keep our hearts tender in places we want to justify and to point out and to move away from and to get back. So what I confess, I can't change that and we can't, but we are asking you to. We pray you will journey with us and this will be not a time of hiding, but of seeking and of finding. I pray this in your name, amen.